Hey everybody, it is Hit Rewind Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and Kersey's on the other side. Hey, how's it going? Well, how's it going is we're going to be doing a triple feature of horror comedies from 1986, probably the epitome of the post-Ghostbusters boom. Um, you know, some people try to say Ghostbusters is the first, like, successful horror comedy. That's not true, obviously, because most people say it's American Werewolf in London. But if you look at the numbers... Look, I, American Wolf in London only made about twice of what it cost. Ghostbusters <laughs> cost $25 million. It made like $400 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So you can see why all the studios are starting to jump on the bandwagon of adding comedy to their horror movies. Yeah, and I think that this this these three are kind of like different genres uh, that are kind of taking on this aspect. Yeah. Well, and also let's mention Gremlins. Same summer, 1984, I think it cost 12 and it made almost as much as uh, Ghostbusters. So yeah, it, all of a sudden every studio, uh, especially the independent ones, are trying to get something. Either deliberately like, ooh, that's in that style or uh, just in that tone. Um, so the first one is going to be Vamp. And you can see, not only is it the influence of Ghostbusters, but I feel like the year prior, the success of Fright Night is looming over Vamp. Mm-hmm. And sex comedies. Teen sex comedies were just coming out of that wave, like Porky's and stuff like that. And Vamp does find a decent balance. I liked it more when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I feel like now I look at it, I appreciate it more for its aesthetic and what it was trying to do on a very low budget. But the characters are kind of douche nozzles. <laughs> I kind of like the characters. Uh, I like the fact that they had the guy who played... Uh, God, what was his name in Pretty in Pink? Oh, Getty Watanabe. Long Duck Dong. Yes. I like that he doesn't have the horrendous accent this time, and is just very natural. Yeah, and... that, I appreciate that, because at no point you could take him out of the movie... You do not know it's an Asian character based on the dialogue and the descriptions. Yeah, he's just he's just a guy, um, and that, I, I appreciate that uh, about it. And also, he kind of plays like the surrogate for the audience because he's very, or not, I guess not really. I mean, he's not that wild. I guess he adds a lot of humanity to this to this movie because he has like there, there's this thing about him that's just so sad and he's pathetic. Right. Um, and it just adds this kind of layer to, uh, to the antics that happen later in the movie that I think just work really well. So for me, like, okay, so the three main characters, well, the plot is basically um, these two frat boys, uh, or they want to, they're trying to initiate themselves into a fraternity and they realize it's just bullshit. Uh, and they decide they're going to go out on town, but they're, the, the guy that Gary Guadagnabi plays is kind of like, he has money, he has connections, but no one really likes him not that he's truly annoying he just seems like he's a misfit he's always awkward yeah and, his money is his greatest asset yeah oh right no they're, they're supposed to get like a stripper or something for the frat party in order to get initiated or something like that right yeah um and so he decides he's gonna pay for their whole journey and, and hiring and whatever just so they'll hang out with him yeah because he thinks of them as being really cool so he wants to you know be cool by association yeah and uh, they go downtown. They're, like, from the suburbs. Or I think they're from, the, like, the next town over. And it kind of really gets the feeling of a city uh, that's kind of run down late at night when it's a little bit of a ghost town. This is the 80s, and a lot of towns uh, were vacant. 
because people moved out to the suburbs. Because uh, you and I, you know, we lived in, well, you still live there, I don't live there anymore, but Portland is always thriving, growing, thriving. The, the, there's a huge nightlife. It's not a ghost town, but I know places that are like that. And there's a creepy quality to it, and Vamp does tap into that really well. Yeah, I think the the setting is great. I, that's kind of the thing that you really that I think kind of turns it on its head. That you kind of expect the nightlife because it is kind of this. Um, it, it's it's set up like a kind of a frat movie, um, but instead it just gets darker um, as you, as you go, which is kind of not really the direction you're expecting. Yeah. The, uh, I love the color tones that the director chooses, and uh, it kind of has a comic booky feel, and it has a lot of depth. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of like neon reflections. Yeah, so he'll be having a light set up like three blocks away, shining with like red or green or something like that, so it kind of gives you... Uh, so it doesn't look like a set. You know, because a lot of movies are like on these closed sets where they have the street closed off, so you, you can't uh, show the street, the cars going through or whatever. Mm. And so I think I think he brought a, a unique quality to it. Richard Wank is the director of this, and he only ever directed like four movies, but he is a big writer now of action movies. He is, I think, responsible for Expendables, one of the Expendables at least, hmm. and a Mechanic with uh, Jason Statham. But it's kind of funny how different those movies are compared to this movie. Yeah. Um, so we have Chris Makepeace and Robert Russler. Robert Russler from my hometown. Um, they uh, they're the, they're the frat guys, and uh, I gotta tell you, Robert Russler oozes charm. Chris Makepeace is kind of a, a blank. You know, he's the everyman. Mm-hmm. He's fine. I think he does well when it comes to the action later in the movie, and I think he's kind of funny. But there's something about Robert Russler where he is just. <laughs> so entertaining in his borderline sleaze, yet, yeah. <laughs> yet you know, kind of like a charming teenager who's just starting to adjust to adulthood, and maybe he shouldn't be acting that way. Mm-hmm. Calm, cool, controlled, um, but a kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. What? What's the damn it? I can't remember her name. All of a sudden, Grace. Uh, fuck, she's a villain. She's a weirdo yeah, from Conan the Barbarian and View to a Kill. Grace Jones. Um, Grace Jones, yeah. yeah, she is our villain, and I does she even have a single line of, li- uh, line of dialogue? I can't remember. No, that's the thing that's kind of interesting about her character is that it's all through her physicality because she is an imposing figure. Yeah, um, and, and I think just noises too. It's, yeah, but uh, it's, it's also just the way that other people react uh, to her reactions, which you know, if if it's just you and me off the streets, kind of like gauging her reactions, it wouldn't seem ominous or weird. Or, I mean, it would seem weird, obviously, but it wouldn't seem, like, ominous or have, like, this undertone to it, but the way that people react to how she acts is really interesting. Yeah, and her dancing, I mean, she was kind of a, one of those, um, they call those uh, performance artists during the mm-hmm. 80s. Very strange model kind of person, but I'm watching this, and... I don't see her dance being very sexy, but while I'm listening to all of this, like the guy commenting on the show and the dancing and how everybody's in Transpire and how they're all there to kill him, and I go, holy shit, from dusk till dawn. <laughs> like, did you get that vibe? Not really, because from dusk till dawn was sexy. This wasn't. <laughs> yeah, No, well, no, I mean, I just feel like Robert Rodriguez probably watched this and said, oh, I can do this way more exciting, and he did. He did a much yeah. better version of this. Add, add a snake to it. Yeah. 
Well, no, just the vibe of getting all these people there at a strip club, and, you know, a bar or whatever, and then taking them out. It's like he somehow found a way to make it even more exciting. Yeah, I mean, he kind of amped up the silliness to yeah. him. <laughs> but there is silliness in this. There's wild effects. I do like the... Uh, Right before it's dark, they run into this group. Uh, I can't tell if it was a pimp and his uh, his prostitutes or what yeah, it was, that but was that, that was really entertaining. And then yeah, realizing, Lake, I think you can call them. Yeah, and <laughs> so they're kind of being hunted by them, but then they're outmatched by fucking vampires, and this little girl <laughs> goes flying and grabs them on the neck and just like, oh, I guess they're not really <laughs> not the main villains at all. Yeah. Um, but I, I, do, I do like... The character of Dee Dee Pfeiffer, she's the bartender that knows him, but she won't tell him. He has to guess who she is and where they know each other from. I love their chemistry together. I don't know about his part. I think that she was doing an outstanding job yeah. with it. Uh, he was definitely more awkward, but I guess that's kind of the point. Is like If you're put in that situation, like, well, what, who the hell is this woman? She keeps following me around, and I don't understand why. So I, I, I get it, but I think that she was really... Uh, pulling the weight on that one. Yeah. Um, I, the funny thing is, Chris Makepeace is the star of this, and he's how he got, you know, how this movie got made because he had been in two big hits when he was much younger. In '79, he was in Meatballs, and in 1980, My Bodyguard. And this is towards the end of his career. He, he would take big gaps or whatever. Um, but he's the star of this, and yet I have no idea whatever happened to that guy. Maybe he just got tired of Hollywood and walked away. Um, but I, I think this is a fun uh, horror comedy. It's got decent special effects. Of course, I love any any sort of vampire meltdown transformation whenever they get killed. It's uh, it's a decent one. I also think I think that's really interesting about the movie that I don't think a lot of other vampire movies do very well is this idea of um, this sort of impending doom or opposing force. Like we're just looking at this small section of the city that like vampires have control over and like killing the the main quote-unquote vampire doesn't really might not change anything there's kind of this sense that there's more out there there's something more happening that we don't understand yeah like so she's just like well it, they treat it kind of like the way they would a drug dealer or a mobster they have their neighborhoods but they're a part of a larger family yeah but um our second feature is Night of the Creeps. Uh, also didn't fare that well at the box office, and it became a massive cult classic through the years, through word of mouth, actually. And finally came out to DVD after years of being, like, just, oh, lost on VHS uh, in 2010. Uh, Night of the Creeps is directed by Fred Decker, who also wrote and directed Monster Squad the next year. Uh, I think Monster Squad's a little bit better, but of course it has much more money. Uh, what did you feel? Is this the first time you've seen this movie? It is the first time, and I was wondering if uh, the detective or cop, I don't really know what his role is. I think he was a detective. Yeah. Always, you know, says, thrill me. Is that where you got the idea to name the podcast? Right. So if you've been listening to this for a while, look, he's, he's more organized mentally than I am. Um, <laughs> I, I throw ideas around and see what sticks, and no one really seemed to give a shit about the name thrill me, so I just decided eventually just to make it all hit rewind. Um but yes, that's where I got the name Thrill Me, and Tom Atkins is so well known for this particular movie. There's t-shirts out there with him and his shotgun saying Thrill Me. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird, because considering that it didn't do very well, it's like the somehow the merchandising caught on. Yeah, well, there there's certain labels that have niche 
uh, horror sci-fi marketing and they'll license the names and they get it for super cheap and they know they can sell an X amount of merchandise with certain things on it and Tom Atkins is the most famous character from this. He had already been established anyway uh, with The Fog and Halloween 3. I feel like there's a couple others in there. But uh, everybody else in this is pretty much a newcomer. And uh, I think he's just a fun, no-bullshit, wise-cracking detective. And uh, he has the best one-liners. I was like, ladies, your dates are here. <laughs> bad news <laughs> I got bad good news and bad news. <laughs> uh, it's a 50s homage. And it's an invasion movie, basically. It has It's a kind of a hybrid monster movie. It has aliens, and it has uh, parasites and zombies and stuff like that. So it's a it's an amalgam of different uh, movies in this genre, and I think it's fun. I think it has decent special effects, and I think it has a pretty damn good showdown at the ending when they're ready to take over the sorority. It has a really weird opening to it that I, I don't really feel comes back in any way of, uh, I don't know, children in weird suits. Um, oh, right, yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. It was weird. Yeah, well, I can't remember. Was it trying to smuggle out? Was it a criminal and was trying to smuggle out the uh, the parasites? That's what itself? I get. Or he was in, or he was infected by the parasite and was trying to leave the colony or something. I okay, so yeah, maybe one of the parasites got loose and infected him, and he decided to unleash the rest of them because they're all a unit and uh, like a hive mind deal. Yeah, like the faculty was. Um, Again, the opening might not be totally necessary to the enjoyment of the movie, but, yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember, is there two openings? There's the alien part, but then there's, like, in the 1950s. Yeah, that, and that's where the, the, the guy who leaves the car goes and... Because they, they see the crash, and then the guy goes to see it, and then the slug goes into his mouth. Oh, right, and then he gets frozen. I hadn't seen this one. This is another one where it's a fraternity-based thing, where they, right, they have to go get something for the fraternity in order to get accepted. Uh, oh yeah oh shit i didn't even realize that look when i was in college the fucking fraternities would just tell you stupid things like oh you can't shower for a week or you have to stop by every single woman you see kneel down and kiss her hand or something stupid not go get a dead body <laughs> yeah that was weird <laughs> <laughs> go get a hooker no none of these things happen <laughs> but uh, i like that it got weirder as it went on because it's like okay so get like what are they gonna do with it i don't understand <laughs> yeah what, what the point is like i don't understand what like what they thought the end I, what the end goal was gonna be if they succeeded like there was no plan for that i mean would they just be like oh yeah that's cool you got a dead body uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, if it goes missing, people are going to freak out. Right. So I don't know where where they thought this was going to be a good idea. But I think the idea was that there's no way they would do it. So they would just kind of make them leave. Yeah. Because they didn't want to accept them anyway. But uh, I like that it got weirder from there. That's already absurd. And then they actually find a way into uh, the place where they keep the, the corpses out of college for some reason. And there's just a dude suspended in there, and they decide to take him out. And, it, yeah, it just gets weird and crazy, and I love it. The uh, I, I feel like the kid, I can't remember the name. I haven't seen this movie in a while. I'm just kind of going off memory. Um, there's a reason. He knows why. I, I can't tell you why. <laughs> uh, I didn't have access uh, to some of my own movies. Um, so the kid with the crutches, his best friend, I feel like is a better written hero than the red-haired kid because uh, Jason Lively is the main the main star of this whatever uh, and he was in European Vacation before so that's how he was an established name that's why they hired him 
I just don't think he's that good. I think his best friend is a great character, and when he's, spoilers, taken out, that's a little heartbreaking. Yeah, that's a lot more emotional than anyone else in the movie, and he's just the, the most well-written. Yeah. Like, when the movie started, and his first, like, his from his first line of dialogue, I was like, oh, that's a great character. Like, I was immediately, like, excited. Yeah. I think, I think Fred Decker gets a bad rap. First off, most all of his movies basically have been flops, as, as hard as he tries. Uh, this flop, Monster Squad flopped, Robocop 3 flopped, he wrote Ricochet with Denzel Washington, flopped. Uh, had a, he was gone for a long time, but came back with The Predator, uh, which he co-wrote with his best friend Shane Black, and that flopped as well. The guy cannot get a break. Mm-hmm. That's too bad. Yeah. But I think he does quality movies, and I wish he'd get more shots, because I think he has a very particular... Uh, fun hybrid uh not just tonally but also like genre mixing with his movies i don't know i out of the whole list of everything you you said i think this is his best one honestly yeah i'm a little bit more on the monster squad side but there are times in monster squad when i cringe but mm-hmm. yeah i'll give you that one i'll give that uh, probably all over this is his best yeah all right, so our know, third. I don't know what it is. Maybe it just needs to remain focused or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, he he was over on uh, Tales from the Crypt for a long time, and I think he worked oh, best okay. in a half hour format. He would write a bunch of episodes. He directed a couple, but mostly wrote them. And uh, I think that's a really great show. I wish it would come back. Um, so our final film is Critters, the pop hit. Uh, the only one of the three movies that was a hit launched a franchise and uh, basically uh, propped new line up with another franchise besides Freddy Krueger and still lots of fun very self-contained compared to Critters 2 which I can't wait to discuss um, but I think if you're going to call it Gremlins ripoff you're not really watching the movie maybe yeah. they said it was in pre-production before uh, Gremlins I don't buy that I think maybe it was a script maybe possibly before Gremlins but New Line Cinema gave it like two and a half million dollars, and I think they did a decent job pulling it off. I think the puppetry is pretty good. Yeah, for the most part, I, like even when it's not great, at least it's fun and yeah. silly, and that just kind of adds to the the atmosphere they're going for. Then it has a classic uh, horror star D. Wallace Stone in this one, and uh, I don't think this is one of her better roles. I don't think she has much to do. Not the way like she did with Cujo or The Howling. Yeah. Oh, that's the same lady from the Howling. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Okay, well. uh, this is more Scott Grimes show, the younger boy who uh, is on. I think the um, the um, what's that space show right now from the Family Guy? Show? Uh, the Orville. The Orville. He's on that right now. If you recognize him, uh, really yeah, young here. He's the uh, yeah. He's the pilot. I think. Yeah, he's a really naive but fun. Oh no, no, no. He's not naive. He knows what the fuck is going on. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I got confused on franchises for a second here. But um, I love his playful attitude, and I love the fact that he's ready to go, you know, to, to come up with a plan. Um, I love his friend. I can't remember his name all of a sudden, but he's the tall, goofy one. Mm-hmm. Um, who's in this? In the first one, he's a drunk, and nobody believes him, whatever. And through the franchise, he becomes a lead and uh, becomes a, a really good soldier against the critters. But it all takes place on one farm, and I think it does a good job of building what little it has to work with on, like, the mythos of the critters. You know, and, and they're funny, and they wisecrack, and uh, uh, they have, like, you know, their own special skills. Like, they can roll up into a ball, they can shoot these tranquilizer needles, 
and if they eat too, a whole bunch, they grow, and then they ha have babies. I think they do a good job. I like mythos in my horror films. I, I was uh, kind of hoping that Billy Zane would have more to do in the movie other than look embarrassed to be in the movie. Yeah, well, it's very early in his career. I think it's maybe like his second or third role. So, you know, he took what he could get. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, what's really funny about that with Scott Grimes is that I was watching the movie uh, and then my partner comes in, uh, watches like 20 minutes of it, tapes it. And then says, like, that kid is the only good thing about this movie. Like, yeah, the kid is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody else is just there to do what, you know, just be scared. Uh, they really don't have a lot to work with. But I think all the townsfolk are fun outside yeah. the farm. I uh, You see uh, Lynn Shea in there. Uh, uh, <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh is the, the sheriff. Oh, he's so good. Um, I liked the bounty hunters. I think it was it was a lot of fun. The one that can't make up his mind on what face he wants. <laughs> <laughs> just keep switching. Yeah, he keeps switching. Like when as soon as he sees a face he likes, they just switch right in front of him. Doesn't even give a shit. Yeah, uh, I think his name is Ugg, the the goofy guy with the gap teeth and he's kind of balding. I can't remember. I could be wrong about that. But um, yeah, and the other one's a rock and roll star. And oh, that was so great. That was weird that there was like a music video portion of the. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's a he's a real Broadway star, so he knew how to sing. But he, so he's not a he's not a musician. But um, I kept looking at him, going, "Hmm, I wonder if they tried to get Tim Curry and couldn't afford him." It is funny. He does kind of look like a knockoff Tim Curry. Yeah. But he is great in the role. I yeah. It's it's really again. I think there is some really good comedy uh, in this movie. I love the fact that it at first he show he shows up as the uh, like the artist with the song of the year whatever that song is playing all all over the movie and he's kind of this more like femme rocker type and then switches over to like a badass bounty hunter yeah i, I love that contrast um stephen herrick it, this is his de directorial debut who would go on to do bill and ted's uh excellent adventure a few years later so his career went well um, and of course, there were three more of these. I can't wait to talk about the second one because the second one's much bigger in scope and is directed by Mick Garris and written by I want to say it's uh, the guy who did Pitch Black and The Arrival. Oh, I can't remember nice. his name all of a sudden, but um, I'm trying to remember. I want to look right now. Charlie. I don't know why I thought it was Ugg. That's weird. I mean, that was one of the characters that was uh, that, that kept changing their faces over and over. Don Keith Offer, though he he uh, co-wrote this franchise. But I think. Anything else you want to say about this before we go? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I like that it was sort of, uh, like I said, it was self-contained. It mostly just takes place in one house. Um, and I do really enjoy the, the dynamic of the townsfolk. I think it's, oh, they're, yeah, I, I just, I think that's a pretty solid movie. I don't really know so much about the, the end with the large critter. He didn't really do anything, so it's kind of pointless to yeah. happen like that. But again, it is setting up, I think, I think they kind of had an idea of a franchise in mind when they were making it. Um, especially there's like that scene when the critter like eats the E.T. doll. <laughs> like, it's kind of a joking fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. we're having the badass aliens here. The, the first time I saw this was on television right before the second one was, on, uh, was in theaters. And I remember I could not sit on the ground for like a week. I was terrified for some reason. And then when my mother one day just noticed that I would not sit on the ground. She's like, what is going on? I go, I watch this movie, Critters. And she's like, it's a movie. You're okay. It's not a thing. You're fine. And I was like, all right. <laughs> ah, when you're children. Um, what is your favorite of the three? Oh, 
Uh, I might have to go vamp, actually. Yeah? Okay, yeah. I did not expect that, but um, the more I think about it through discussing, I would have said critters, but mm-hmm. I think vamp. I think there's a lot of complexity and a lot of uh, uh, high-quality filmmaking in, in uh, like, what, $3 million maybe on that film, and it looks good. It's fun. Yeah, I think the dynamic of the three main characters, especially when they're starting their road trip, it's just like it's just pure comedy gold with those three. Yeah. All right, so we're going to be diverting from horror comedies. When we hit 1987, we're going to be doing the sexual thrillers, Fatal Attraction, which I've never seen before. Have you ever seen this? I have not. Fatal Attraction, for people who don't know, basically changed the horror scene. People don't call it a horror movie, but it is a horror movie. Um, it's just sold to yuppies, and so they can't call it that. They call it a sexual thriller. But it changed everything because in 1989, horror dies. Every single last horror movie bombed that year. And all of a sudden, Hollywood started looking for something new, and they looked back at Fatal Attraction, which made a ton of money, and it's the from hell. Fill in the blank from hell. This is the affair from hell. And then you're going to have like the babysitter from hell, the secretary from hell. You know, All this stuff is going to be a, a, a whole thing through the 90s. And it starts here. And the second movie is Bedroom Window, which is a Hitchcockian, uh, great, great thriller uh, directed by Curtis Hansen, who would later win an Oscar for L.A. Confidential. And uh, I can't wait for you to see those. And then it'll be back to the horror when we do Evil Dead 2, and i got to find something to pair with it. Uh, that's, uh, that's the thing about Evil Dead 2 how do you pair that it's, I know it's trying, something wacky though from 1987 that's the thing is trying to fit something from 87 or something around that um, if I can't find anything we're going to be doing oh fuck no we're not I forgot we already discussed what we're doing next why don't I make oh, myself notes yeah. yeah we already discussed this Hellraiser 1 and 2 <laughs> duh exactly okay, okay. <laughs> then the sexual thriller so we'll be back on course all right, so we're we're not we're not doing a horror comedy. We're just doing straight horror. Yeah, straight up fucking crazy horror. The only movie that's ever been banned in my house. <laughs> <laughs> weird. I had uh, my friend had a had a ban on uh, Carrie. Really? Yeah. No, I just know when I was in high school, uh, it was playing, and my mom walked in the living room. She saw the part where they're being taken, uh, you know, stripped, stripped with hooks, and she goes, "Well, that's never playing in our house." She was real cool and calm about it, <laughs> but she's like, "Nope, <laughs> that's gross," uh, and I, I hadn't seen it since. Um, so it'll be fun to discuss that and the second film in the franchise. And uh, so that's it, everybody. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter on Hit Rewind Podcast. Subscribe. Uh, share and uh, I guess comment on any movies that we might have missed or coming up that you really want us to discuss.